and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by the score. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined in studio by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica Sharo. What's going on? And Joe Wolfon. What up? We are here to discuss really another emergency topic. The Golden State Warriors are falling apart at the seams after Kevin Durant and Draymond Green. Surprise, surprise, Draymond will be in the middle of all this controversy, but um, they are having a spat. Um stemming from a play in the Clippers game where the Warriors went on to lose in overtime, but it's a tie game, about seven seconds left. The Warriors had just forced a miss. Uh, and then kind of Draymond basically denies Kevin Durant of the rebound and decides to push it up instead of giving it to KD, who was the guy who I think we all can agree, KD is the guy who should close that game out. Um, you know, it turns into a turnover, and then it turns into this huge, huge... Um, Disagreement where you know KD is very angry that Draymond didn't pass the ball and then Draymond turned it over. And then Draymond, who is obviously a very prideful guy, responds by questioning his commitment to the Warriors. This then spills out after the game into the locker room, and uh, it's a whole mess right now. And basically, the future of the Warriors seems to be in doubt. Um, first off, I Cash, let me start with you. Do you think Draymond was wrong to confront Kevin Durant about his free agency in this context? First off, can we take five seconds to appreciate again that the NBA is the greatest league in the world? Yeah. Uh, every time one of these like stories happens, which is like every 48 hours, I just get John Tesh's music, Round Ball Rock, in my head and like start digging to it in my own head. But yeah, no, like, I, yeah, I think Draymond is probably wrong to confront KD about his free agency and the law. Like, if they don't want it to be a distraction, maybe don't bring it up as part of like a feud about something else after a, a tense loss. Um, the other thing, too, is, like, did these guys forget that two years ago they signed Kevin Durant as a free agent? Now, I guess the argument isn't that they're not confronting him necessarily about the fact he might leave. They're confronting him about the fact, I guess, he's not, like, keeping it quiet during the season. And instead, he's, like, talking about securing the bag. And his brother's apparently talking about how they're up out of there after getting another ring. Maybe that's the issue. It's not so much whether he stays or leaves. It's just that they just don't want to hear anything about it till July. I don't know. But either way, I think it just wasn't the place or the time to get into that. I guess just what this signals to me, like this probably would have come out at some other time anyway, right? Like It seemed like a simmering issue. It did. And I think, you know, as with any sort of longstanding relationship, most major blowouts are not just about the one thing that triggers them. And there's a lot of festering tension there that is bound to spill up over time uh, at some point or another. So I guess, you know, this, this to me just feels like the product of a team that might kind of be at the end of its rope. Um, and we've seen this with teams before who have kind of tried to do it three, four years in a row. But, you know, by the time you get into that third or fourth year, it's like guys are kind of tired of each other. You know, the shtick is getting old and you're doing it, you know, day in and day out and starting again from scratch every season after playing a hundred plus games the season before. Like, I, I just feel like we've seen this play out time and time again. And I'm not saying necessarily that the Warriors aren't going to win the championship this year, but uh, it certainly seems like they're ready for some sort of a shakeup there. And um, I mean, look, Draymond recruited Durant to come and join the Warriors in 2016. The night they lost the finals. Yeah. It's, it's wild now that, that uh, the relationship between those two guys is what might kind of tear at the fabric of, of this dynasty. But um, I guess, the bottom line for me, like, you know, Marcus Thompson had a, a story that yeah, where there was phenomenal. some incredible reporting about basically what was going on behind the scenes in this whole situation. And the thing that really stuck out to me was that basically he said players and, you know, front office people and the coaching staff are all basically bracing for Durant to leave at the end of the season. And, and I don't think that this one incident has dramatically changed the accounting in that situation. I think, you know, the the, the sense that I got was that they were feeling that way even before this happened. And I guess, you know, Draymond took it personally. He, he's like a, a sensitive person who obviously, you know, has a tendency to get really fired up and, and honestly be wounded by things like this. We remember his blowout with Steve Kerr a couple of years back. Yeah. Um, I mean, they got over that eventually. They got over it eventually. But I think, I, I, I think there is... Um, like these things maybe add up and take a toll over okay. time. And the fact that, you know, reportedly in the locker room afterward, uh, the rest of the Warriors were kind of calling out Draymond for the way that he behaved 
and the organization you could argue is kind of taking Durant's side by making a public oh, for show sure. by, for sure. by making a public show of suspending Draymond yeah. without pay for a game rather than kind of like keeping it in house, maybe issuing a fine mm-hmm. and then sitting him and claiming that it was for rest or you know whatever else they could do to kind of keep it in house. Um, so, I mean. I can understand like there being fatigue with Durant and the way that he's stringing everybody along and that he hasn't downplayed free agency rumors, but I can also understand there being fatigue with Draymond and, and his whole act because, I mean, this isn't the first time we've heard that, that this kind of thing wears on the people around him. The Warriors in general, like Joe just mentioned Draymond's act potentially wearing thin on guys. The Warriors, by and large, have stood by Draymond like when this kind of stuff happens. Like you remember him getting himself suspended, which probably cost the Warriors that t- the title that year. And like for the most part, the team stood behind him. Like they obviously knew he was in the wrong, but they continued to support him. Bob Myers, in um, in particular, has always been like a staunch supporter of Draymond. So the fact that they did um, get to this point where they're like suspending him apparently without pay, and it's like very public knowledge even though they're probably going to lose KD anyway, and I'm sure they know that. Like, mm-hmm. The That's fact suspicious. they got to that point, yeah, it, it, it kind of shows you maybe just how done they are with, with Draymond's act. And not that they're done with Draymond, but like how they're f- going to try to quell this once and for all. I don't think it's going to work, but I think the fact that they went this route tells you just how serious it was to them. The most Durant thing ever would be to just sign an extension like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and just be like, yeah, I'm staying. I'm here for the long term. Like... I'll show you, Draymond. I'll show you what commitment really means. Um, honestly, look, I think that part is very curious, right? The fact that they chose, like you know, like you mentioned, they, they had a, little, a myriad of ways that they could have gone about addressing this, and they chose to publicly suspend Draymond and take money from him and stuff like that. And pick a side in this case, you know, Bob Myers even came out and said that Draymond's actions were detrimental to the organization, quote. Like, that's that's pretty forward, right? That's pretty forward. And they kind of chose to not keep it in-house. And I think, you know, part of that might be an act to sort of keep Kevin Durant, who I think we all agree if, you know, push came to shove, they would probably choose KD over um, Draymond. But I also think that, like, maybe they're just thinking about it in terms of, like, maybe, look, we just don't want to deal with the issue of having to pay Draymond eventually. Because Draymond right now is twenty years, 28 years old. Um, he is like a year away from free agency so like not this year but the following season after that one he'll be a free agent but at that point he'll about he'll be about 30 years old and he wants the full max he's already turned down uh, an extension of for about 70 to 80 million dollars i'm not entirely sure of the number over three years which i think is like reasonable for you know what draymond does but i mean think i think draymond wants basically a full max contract after taking a smaller deal he, he, he's playing out basically the last two years of a 80 million five 80 million over five years which is you know for a guy like Draymond I think it's he's been underpaid and so it's understandable he wants a full bag but I think the point here is that like the Warriors kind of like are looking down the line and have already basically decided Draymond is not really a core piece of this uh with or without Durant and I think that's what made it so that's what made them take it so public in terms of their support for Durant I don't even think they necessarily think that that's going to sway Durant right because I think Durant it honestly sounds like he's done. Like he really seems like he wants to go somewhere else um, going forward. And um, I think, but from the Warriors' perspective, though, these are obviously very proud people. They want a title together. Do you think the Warriors feel like Durant owes them um, some warning, some knowledge that you know what? If I'm going to go, at least here I can be open and honest with you guys because I think that seems to be an issue as well. Yeah, I think the Warriors feel like Durant owes them something, but I don't feel like Durant owes them anything. I think, um, yeah, sure, he joined a great team, and you know he obviously didn't win these titles single-handedly, clearly. But at the same time, like KD, as much as we kind of, you know, jab him for uh, not caring or caring what people think, like he did take somewhat. Not someone. He took a pretty big PR hit to join that team, and mm-hmm. he did it because he wanted to win. But he, you know, I'd say he did the Warriors a favor more than the Warriors did him a favor. Like they wanted him. I mean, it was mutually beneficial. I think we could. Can... It was, but I still think, like in the grand scheme of things, like he got his money, and you think he the... needed them more than they needed him, or or vice versa. I think. I think even though they were a seventy-three win team that had already won a title, I still think they needed him more than he needed them. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. Man, come on. We're talking about one of the greatest players of all time. And I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, that team... Okay, we don't have to litigate this right now, but 
I don't think you can say one way or another like who benefited more. I think you're right that the, that he doesn't necessarily owe them anything. Like free agency is free agency. It's exactly that. He has a right to make whatever decision he wants, and he doesn't have to tell the world right now what he's planning on doing. Um, but at the same time, I mean, <sighs> there is like I think what you're trying to say is like there is consequences, right? Like the, the teammates have to suffer. Like right. I think part of the issue for Draymond and Clay is that. Because KD is out there basically keeping it open, then it falls back on those guys. Are like, well, what about your future? What about your money, right? Like, those guys, like, they have a lot of money riding on the line. I mean, I know I just said that they probably don't want to pay Draymond the full max, but I think if Draymond were to come around to a number that's more to the Warriors' liking, about $20 million, like, they probably will try to keep Draymond if the, that's what the price tag is. Now, if Draymond can get more money elsewhere, then, of course, he's going to go elsewhere. But, yeah. but um, I, I don't think Draymond's going to get the full max elsewhere. So I think what... And I think mm-hmm. the other thing, like, these were... Okay, Draymond Green, great player. Like, I'm as big a Draymond fan as they sure. can. I think he's one of the smartest players in the league. Defensively, like, a revolutionary player. Clay Thompson, one of the best shooters of all... Like, yeah. I'm not doubting how good those guys are, but they're still not on the same planet as a Kevin Durant. Right. So, to, like... I get the fact that, you know, Clay's already come out and been like, he wants to be a warrior yeah. for life. And Draymond, yeah, he wants his money, but he still wants to be a warrior. And I get that, like, they're taking a different approach to it, but they're not Kevin Durant. And they're never going to be as wanted as Kevin Durant is as a mm-hmm. free agent. So, like, I just feel like it's a lot easier for them to be like, well, we want to be warriors for life. And they've are, they've also been warriors for life, you know? Yeah. Kevin Durant's been around. He's changed team once as a free agent. He is a truly transcendent star that any team would bend over backwards for. So, like... He's just in a different situation than them, and they might not understand that because they can't understand what it's like to be Kevin Durant. Yeah. What I would say is at the end of the day, like the Warriors can hang their hat on having won a title before Durant got For there, sure. and Durant yeah. can't say the same thing. So I think to a certain extent, like this is purely speculative, but we've been talking about this for a while. And like if Durant does go elsewhere after this season, I think, you know, part of it will be to prove whether it's to himself or the rest of the NBA yeah. community that he can win a championship with another team that is his team, you know, where he is the undisputed best player. It's a little um, bit like when, when LeBron left Miami as well. Because, like, Miami was also a very proud organization. Yeah. Except in this case, uh, I think Steph is just much better than Dwayne Wade was. At right, that like that career. Miami team was kind of falling apart yeah. on the court at the time. And and this one more seems like the kind of off-the-court turmoil is what yeah. might be their undoing. But um, I also think that probably there is some feeling within the Warriors that they want to prove that they can, like, they're still good enough to win without Durant. You know what I mean? Like, Durant took a PR hit, the Warriors kind of did too. And, like, I don't think, you know, anybody really criticized for it. It's like, if you have a chance to sign Kevin Durant, you go and sign Kevin Durant. But I think there is a sense of, like, their titles in the last couple of years being minimized because of this idea that they, you know, cheated is obviously not the right way of putting it. But it's like they had this extraordinary moment of, like, good fortune yeah. where the the cap boom happens Steph is still on this like incredibly reasonable contract that he signed when yeah. his ankles were still wonky Draymond Green was on this reasonable contract that he signed on the old cap and so was Clay Thompson like all these factors conspired to help them land a generational player and add him to a 73 win team something that we have just never ever seen before mm-hmm. and so it's like for all parties involved the last couple of titles that they've won have been like meh you know everyone's kind of shrugged about it and I think for somebody who is fiery and competitive like Draymond, there's maybe an element of, all right, like I'm ready to, to go out and like actually prove something again because it doesn't feel like they've actually proved anything by winning the last two years. I, I will say this though, and I said it after they their their last win um, when they swept the Cavs, for as much um, hysteria as yeah. there was when KD joined that team. And you know, as much as people just thought it had turned the league into this like unfair, uh, one team show, I and I don't, I don't know. I think you guys agree with me. I don't think the Warriors win either of the last two championships without Kevin Durant. I don't think they beat the Cavs in 2017. That Cavs team that was a was really a, good Cavs team. Offensively, like one of the greatest teams we've ever seen. And it took KD's dagger in Game Four to prevent that thing from going back to the Bay Area, tied at two. And last year, I don't think they're getting by Houston without Kevin Durant. Now. I guess we're getting into semantics because you can say maybe Houston wouldn't have assembled the team they assembled if it wasn't for, like, the Warriors with KD. I don't know. But I'm just saying that considering everyone assumed it was, like, a done deal, that KD mm-hmm. going there was just, like, 
easily scooping up two titles. I think in the end, he ended up being the difference between whether the Warriors got those two extra titles or not. Well, I think part of the issue here is that, like, KD kind of joined the Warriors knowing that, like, hey, this is going to benefit me and it's going to get the monkey off my back of, like, hey, I've never won a title before. And all great players, and I think KD wants to be known as a great player, and I think he is a great player, kind of need to be validated by rings. I mean, this is kind of just the circumstances we put every single player through. I mean, we basically the media tortured Dirk forever until he won his ring, right? And now Dirk's like the most beloved guy, you know. Um, but I think eventually over time, I think KD came to realize that he was always going to be seen as a mercenary with the Warriors and that he was never going to – it was never going to be KD's team in the way that – KD can have sort of the LeBron type of superstar, which I think that's actually kind of the issue with Durant is that like I think he wants so badly to be this like singular personality, this great sporting figure um, that like LeBron is or like that Kobe was, you know what I mean? Like someone that is so topical, transcends sports and, and is just brought up in every single conversation um, and every single action is scrutinized. And so I think he wants that kind of treatment. I think that's what he believes to be greatness, right? Because he's already achieved, you know, uh, two titles he's got two finals mvps scoring titles mvp like everything you need gold medals things like that he's already done everything there he just needs to get that off-court sort of recognition that sort of climbing the pantheon and i think that's what katie wants to do and i think that's probably why he's leaving the warriors because you have to basically do it on your own now to further prove it and, and that's basically what lebron did right like lebron's status was very good after you know he won those titles in miami but then after he went to Cleveland and then pulled out that 3-1 comeback, that's when people were really like, okay, wow, he is better than Jordan, this and this and this. He is perhaps the best basketball player of all time, right? And Durant hasn't had that moment yet. And I think that's probably what Durant is thinking, you know, with this next move in the first place. But, um, well, if if Draymond didn't fumble the ball out of bounds, he might have had that moment in game eight of uh, the regular season and he could have beat the Clippers. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Man, it, it's, it's just amazing, like, Draymond for being obviously a great player but not like one of the ultimate like the best players that we've ever seen has been among the most like consequential figures I think oh, yeah, in NBA for sure. history right for like, sure the fact that first of all you know like you mentioned this the Warriors qu- quite probably win that 2016 title if he can just quiet that voice in his head that's like telling him to punch LeBron in the dick when LeBron steps over him <laughs> I mean in, in all fairness to Draymond LeBron stepped over him intentionally to draw that and Okay, why he's the king? He stepped over him intentionally to draw that because he knew that Draymond wasn't going to be able to help himself. Like, I'm just—I don't fully blame Draymond for that one. I think any of us in that scenario would have done the same thing to LeBron. Nevertheless, Draymond does that, and you know, you could say that it it might have cost him a championship that year. Immediately after, Mm -hmm. it cost him a championship. He's on the phone trying to get Kevin Durant, which I think more than makes up for. I I think that make more than makes up for the fact that he one hundred percent. And by the way, the fact that he wasn't as poised as Ty Lue and he got stepped over, like (laughs) I mean, that's true. Yeah, that's true. Ty Lue really just took that. But I mean. Well, I mean, also, Draymond look, had 35 points in Game 7. And the yeah, Warriors yeah. had multiple chances. Didn't he have and a 35-point triple-double? Yeah. Like, he would have won Finals MVP. Like, it, like as crazy as what that he got suspended. But, like, Steph wasn't that great in that Finals. And Steph had six fouls. That was the first time ever in his career that he ever fouled out playoffs or regular season. In, like, eight seasons, Steph fouled out of that Game 6 to, for the Warriors to actually get it to 7 in the first place. Yeah. Anyway, I just think of, like, what a whirlwind four yeah. years for Draymond Green, man. Like, Seriously. He has a hand in, like, causing <laughs> Obviously, he has a hand in them having a historic regular season. All those guys said throughout that season, Draymond was the guy who was, like, yep. pushing them to get to 73. Yep. So, he has a huge hand in that. He has a huge hand in, like, helping to cause them the championship that mm-hmm. year. Has a huge hand in bringing Durant on to make sure they win the next two titles. And now is potentially going to have a huge hand in Durant being out the door. Like It's crazy. Just we talk about power brokers in the league, but man, Draymond pulling a lot of strings. Draymond's a real one in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah, um, um, but I will say, like talking about kind of the optics of the situation and like the organization seemingly siding with Durant in this, I wonder if they do make a public show of suspending Draymond, if it isn't out there that he was repeatedly calling Durant a bitch. You know, like I feel like once that gets out there, they kind of have to, they kind of have to lay down some sort of discipline, right? To uh-huh. in order to like maintain. An element of respectability. Yo, right? but, but how, but how do you think that report came out? Do you think like someone was in the locker room was leaking that, or do you think Draymond was screaming so loudly that everyone in the building was like? I would like, not be surprised if it was. I wouldn't be surprised if Draymond leaked that. <laughs> well, it wasn't even a leak. Draymond's <laughs> rumor, like, yeah, I called him a. B-. 
like, I can't wait for Draymond to get to the state the podium, man. I, I, I want to hear from Draymond on this case. Um, okay, so after all this has happened, do you think this can be fixed or does one of them have to go? Oh, I think it can be fixed, man. Like, okay, how, how do you come back from this then? You win. That's it? You win so, and then you pay everybody. And I don't think that's what's going to happen. They're I, not going to pay everybody. Exactly. I know that. I, they're not going. I'm just saying. They that's win that. and they they offer to pay everyone what they want, which they're not going to do because the they'd have like the craziest uh, tax bill in yeah. NBA history and then some. But like, I'm just saying, if we're if we're just talking about whether it's possible, it is possible. They some they find a way to win 70 plus uh, games again. Boogie fits in seamlessly. Mm. They cruise to the title. KD and Draymond have like great moments together, and then the only one that walks is Boogie because they pay everyone. I was like, there is technically a way to make it work. It's not actually done in November. I just don't think that'll be the case. It seems to me like Durant is probably gone, and and I don't know that this one incident changed anything like to that effect. I think mm. that might have been the case regardless. So basically, so, Draymond just took it public. Yeah, I mean, Draymond took it personally and then took it public in you know in a moment of extreme frustration. Um, Every moment is extreme frustration for Draymond. That guy is intense. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, and Draymond has admitted in the past that he yeah. basically seeks out any form of like negative energy he can yeah. find to feed off of uh, and use it to fuel him. So yeah. it's it maybe not surprising that this is happening, but fixing this for the Warriors, I think, is just getting their act together for the rest of the season to the extent that they can still win the championship, as they very well should, given mm-hmm. the talent on their roster. I, I don't know that there ever was going to be a fix for uh, whether or not Durant was going to stick around. You know, I, I just... And it seems like everybody has been resigned to that for a while now. I mean, maybe Bob Myers even had that inclination when he said that we're not going to pay Kevin Durant like we pay Steph Curry because Steph Curry is our guy. You know, like, yeah. I think the writing maybe has been on the wall for longer than we've been willing to admit. Um, I think one interesting player in this entire case is Tony Durant, who <laughs> no one's ever heard of before, but Tony Durant is the brother of Kevin Durant, and he put out uh, on Instagram um, that, uh, quote, instead of competing with what's already written, just follow along before the greatness is done rubbing off on you and people see you for what you really are. So obviously very pointed comments towards Draymond. Um, and I, I mean, I think really just kind of a little bit of a low blow to Draymond because I think it's so easy to downplay sort of the importance of a role player. And Draymond is a role player, despite the fact that he is like one of the best role players in the NBA. He is, he does play a role. It's just, he's so good at playing that role that you needed to win a championship. Um, but it, it honestly sounds very much like, you know, Durant is going to go and like, this is, I, I think the one thing you probably can bank on is that you know Draymond respects Steph. We know that for sure, and we know that KD respects Steph. And so, if Steph is willing to step in and basically mediate the whole situation and get everyone on the same page, maybe not forever, just for this one year to win one more title, just get everyone on the same page, then maybe they can coexist. But I mean, like even that's tough, right? Because like look at the way the Warriors play offense. Draymond is the guy who holds the ball more than anyone else because he's the distributor. He leads the team in assists. Like, you know, he's going to be passing to KD and just be a lot of situations. Like, oh, whoops, I passed it to Clay instead of KD. Can't really blame him for that. Clay's a great shooter, right? But, you know, there's a lot more moments where it could be awkward. And I think, um, at, at least in my opinion, it's really going to take a, a colossal uh, bit of not even. It's, it's almost like parenting. Like, Clay, like, Steph really, and, and Clay to a lesser degree, but like, Steph really has to come in and basically tell everyone to, like, just relax. Can we win a title? And then, KD, you can do your business, and Draymond, you can do your business. But that's kind of what they need right now because there seems to be a lot, a lot of tension, man. Yeah. I mean, Seth's probably just like tired of this, too. Like, how many times? This isn't the first time Draymond and KD have butted heads oh, yeah. pretty publicly, too. Yeah. Um, it's just the worst it's ever been. That's why I, I can't remember who tweeted, but it was like a great uh, tweet of. Uh, like Steph, it was like a happy picture, but mm-hmm. still, it looks like Steph's yelling at KD and Draymond, and someone captioned it like, "Can't I leave you two alone for a couple of days?" Like, and it's so true. Like Steph and Clay, yeah, like you said, Clay to a lesser degree are probably just like, "Oh man, we have to like glue this back together again." I do take issue though with Tony Durant as much as I think the Warriors needed Tony Kevin Durant, Durant the last couple of years. I take issue with Tony Durant. Saying, like, wait till the greatness is done rubbing off on you. Yeah. As if, like, Draymond wasn't already a great player. Or, like we've mentioned, the Warriors already yeah. weren't a great team. Come on, I, I think they needed him to win two more titles. But you can't say that, like, 
KD's greatness rubbed off on them in a way where they weren't already great. Like, come on, man. Check yourself. That's the one thing you can never say about the Warriors because they had already won 73 games and they had already won a title before Kevin Durant came. It's Kevin Durant that still has things to prove, not the Warriors. I think, yeah, that's 100% right. And you, talking about Steph, I mean, more than anybody maybe in the entire NBA, um, I, I feel like he doesn't think that he really has anything to prove at this point. Like, yeah. he just seems very comfortable in his situation, comfortable in his own skin. And so I don't know, like, I, I'm sure he'll try to mediate, but I don't think that he is going to get involved on the kind of emotional level that Draymond is involved in this thing right now. Like, yeah. I just think for him, it's like, okay, like, these guys will, will figure it out or they won't. I'll do what I can to help them figure it out. Mm-hmm. But if Durant leaves, like, I think Steph's going to be fine. You know, like, the team is still going to be a championship contender. He is still going to be... And maybe, like, even from his end, like, that kind of bolsters his MVP candidacy. You know, like, the last couple of years, he's been outstanding, and he hasn't been in the MVP conversation at all. And uh, I think there's a case to be made that as long as Durant is on the team, neither of those guys are really going to be able to get that kind of recognition because they cannibalize each other a little bit, and, like, Mm -hmm. the team is just so stacked with talent that it's hard for one guy to stand out the way that Steph did during that 15-16 season. So I, I feel like he almost maybe has like less skin in the game than, well, than I mean, the other I, guys involved in the situation do. I think Steph just is much less egotistical. Steph is like, uh, and I've, I wrote this back in 2016, but like Steph is the Warriors equivalent of Tim Duncan. In terms of this dynasty, you need a selfless superstar to step aside and do all the other things that is necessary to win because in order to win, you have to sacrifice. It's a cliche, but it's really true. And I think if you look at Steph, he sacrificed, he's had his time, he's had two MVPs, you know, whatever. Like, he's had obviously a lot of recognition, but also he's passed up on more recognition, right? Instead of getting to a place where KD is, right? I think Steph and KD are in similar places in their careers, right? Like, they're going to be going down as all-time players, probably two of the top 20 players. I think, honestly, Steph could really have a case to be top 10 um, historically, depending on how you want to slice it up. But um, they're in the same place. But Steph is content with that. Steph is content with collecting more titles, and his focus is really on titles. Where I think KD, I think he really wants to do all the other stuff to, that you know makes you quote-unquote great. And I think that's obviously his own you know prerogative, but that's ultimately why he's going to leave and ultimately stop sacrificing. And I think the one thing with KD is he did sacrifice. Right, he took like eight million dollars less on his last deal than he needed to, just so that he can get, you know, Iguodala some money. He could get uh, Sean Livingston some money, and you know that is sacrifice. But I think a, another sac- way to sacrifice really is just to put your ego away, and sort of just you know let things happen. I think Steph has really done that. One thing I want to wrap up this whole you know Warriors thing on before we go on to talk about other things happening in the NBA um, is. You know, if this Warriors thing does end this season and whether or not they win a ring, like, what do you think the legacy of this entire Warriors run is going to be? Because um, to me, it very much feels like the Warriors kind of proved how fun basketball can be and then kind of not ruined it, but just basically devalued what a championship is really worth in the NBA. Because right now they're basically just throwing away a guaranteed ring just because, you know, Draymond and Durant can't agree on how to close a game. I think... um... I think it's like a very reactionary take. Uh, I think in general, their their legacy is going to be greatness and one of the two or three greatest teams ever, if not the greatest team ever. Um, I think it's very easy in the moment to say, like, look at the drama, look at the fact, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. they're basically potentially throwing away an easy ring and thinking, well, now that's how we're going to remember them. But, like, give it a few years and that's not the case. Like, any great dynasty in NBA history, and there's been a lot of them, Almost all of them end on dramatic terms. Like, just go back to the Shaq, Kobe Lakers. I know we remember the feud, but, you know, a lot of people don't really talk about the fact that um, their last or second last year together, everyone thought that was a guaranteed ring when the Lakers got Gary Payton and Carl Malone and then matched up with the Piston, you know, like the yeah. just five workman-like star Piston lineup. Everyone thought that was a guaranteed ring and they didn't win it. And, it, you know, the rumors started flying because there was drama in the background and the Kobe Shaq breakup ended up happening. And again, yeah, we remember the feud, but we don't really talk about it as like, oh, like, you know, the Warriors threw away titles. Like, I don't know. At least I don't think of it like that. And I go down the line, the, the most recent Heat um, team. Yeah. You know, you had LeBron and Pat Riley apparently had a falling out. But like, I don't know. Is anyone really going to remember that when they think about that legacy? Or are they just going to remember like the peak of that? 
four year heat run. Uh, well, they had like that twenty six game win streak. Yeah, like I don't know. Right? To me, it's like other than the Spurs, just because they were the Spurs. I don't know if there's really ever been a true NBA dynasty where in the end there wasn't some drama around them, and we don't really remember it that way. I think it's going to be complicated, um, but for the most part, I think until there is something else that comes along that allows us to contextualize what actually like happened yeah. with the, with this team and like this four year run that they're on. Um, or I guess five years now. Is it five it years? It depends. Or? It's weird to like the pre and post KD is right. So are you talking specifically about like the KD era or I guess the KD era, right? Because like I, I don't know if people were really genuinely saying that this was the best team ever. I know they when they had the seventy three win season, it was like can they beat Michael Jordan's Bulls? Mm-hmm. But like that was sort of a thought exercise more than an actual serious suggestion, right? After they got KD, that's like okay, now this could actually be the best team of all time. Yeah. So. It's tough. I, I just think because nothing like this had ever happened before. Yeah. Nothing like this could have ever happened before because there had never been a team like the 2015-16 Warriors before. There had never been a team that had been that good mm-hmm. in the regular season, period. Yeah. There had certainly never been a team that good that had failed to win the championship. And then you take a team that was literally the best regular season team in history. Yeah. And they add a top three player. Like... Just the, nothing like that had of. ever happened before. So, unheard of. Um, and, and it was a little bit like this with LeBron's Heat teams, right? Nothing like that had ever really happened before either. And it took a little bit of time for people to be able to, I, I think, contextualize that and figure out how to, I don't know, how to talk about them in historical terms. And I think ultimately where people landed on that Heat team is that they were kind of disappointing. As good as they were, like... They won two titles. They went to the finals four years, but... They should have won that Mavericks title. It, it seems like they probably should have won more than they did, and obviously LeBron thought that they would because he was there on, like, that introductory... Yeah. yeah. Uh, whatever that was in Miami, saying, you know, not five, not six, not seven. So to to wind up with two, I feel like, uh, was almost underwhelming, weirdly enough. And I wonder if people will kind of be left feeling that way about this Warriors team, too, that if... If, even if they only, even if they end up with three, it's going to be like what? Only three? Like people say that about the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. Like they could have won more if they could have just, you know. Well, I mean, that's one. That's what, always what you say when things break up in their prime. I think w- at least one thing you can understand with the Heat is like, look, Dwayne wasn't the same player going forward that he was previously, and we could see the deterioration in Dwayne Wade's game and in his health um, while LeBron was there, and LeBron had to carry them so many games when Dwayne would just randomly sit out to rest. And then Chris Bosh, you know, like, what what ultimately ended up happening to Chris Bosh, like, his health concerns, like, no one could have foreseen those. But I think in retrospect, people were like, well, you know, maybe LeBron wins one or two more rings. But, like, it probably wouldn't have there – there wasn't that much more in that Heat team because they were also getting really old. The Warriors here, like, they're, they're all in their prime. Like, I think we all agree. If the Warriors stay together and, I don't know, maybe even pay the luxury tax bill one year – um, they could have, they could probably have like two, three more rings in them. And then when you look back on this whole run and you see, wow, the Warriors have won five rings out of six, and the only time they lost one was sort of the, out of this like miraculous confluence of you know factors that led Cleveland to get that three-one comeback. Like you would actually have a good case for that team being the best team of all time, and they're kind of just kick, kicking that away. And that's why I think, like to be honest, like when people say the Warriors ruined basketball, I think what they really mean is like. The ring means everything in basketball, right? And, and I guess same thing with all sports. Like, winning and being the champion at the end is what matters. But the Warriors kind of took that and basically said, you know what? The way to win a ring is to, like, sort of engineer this. And, like, people have an issue with the fact that they are basically guaranteed a ring because of how much talent that they have. And now they're almost kind of, like, doubling down on that by basically saying, we have drama and so we are we don't care about winning more rings. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, the Warriors don't care about rings in the way that... Um, everyone else does. And I think maybe it's jealousy but fans of other teams, but I th- also think they have a legitimate gripe, man. Like, how do you treat such a great blessing, this great opportunity to play basketball with so many talented players and to become the best team of all time and just throw that away over some randomness, you know? I think devil's advocate, though, is you can almost be like, how many guys or teams would still be as passionate about chasing a ring as the Warriors are given the recent set? Like, yeah. Draymond is. But that's what I'm saying, right? So, like... You can look at it both ways. It's like, I don't know, how many guys would even care as much as Draymond does if they've had the team success they've had over the last few years? Or like, you know, we're talking about Clay saying all he wants to do is win rings and like just stay with the words. Like how many guys would have that outlook if they'd already had that team success? So I think, I do think the KD signing altered the way people view Mm -hmm. rings, at least in the modern era. But I think by and large, the Warriors, um, 
the Warriors rings will still be valued one, okay. once we go forward. And I, I don't think they've completely devalued rings in general in the league. It, this is like a two-year blip that was you know, made by this confluence of things that we'll probably never see again. Okay. But I do think it's instructive in the sense that you know, people talk about rings culture as if yeah. like, everybody treats all rings as being equal. And I think that's pretty clearly no longer the case. We ground all of these things in so much context. And I think if Durant leaves and never wins a ring again, I mean, it, it clouds his legacy a bit. And I feel like it's, it's interesting to think about what would have happened if LeBron had not won that title in Cleveland. You know? Oh my god! And like Durant's legacy in like with the Warriors right now, or just like as an NBA player in general, if he doesn't go on to win another ring with a different team after this, it's gonna look terrible for him. And well, all, it's, all it's he gonna, cares about is looking good right now. Yeah, but I think to me, like it's gonna look kind of like LeBron's career would have looked if he hadn't won that ring with Cleveland. Yeah. Um, and I think I don't know what that tells me is like no, not all rings are really valued equally. Mm-hmm. And and you know if Durant had managed to win one in Oklahoma, it would have meant. I think something different to fans of the game, uh, historians of the game, than the rings that he won in Golden State are going to ultimately mean. But did we did we have this kind of discourse about our rings valued equally before KD did this? You know what I mean? Like no one really was like, "Wow!" Le- I mean, did people undervalue LeBron's ring in 2012, being like, "Wow, he basically guaranteed himself a ring"? Because like I think know, they like, did. I think mean, so? yeah, man. That's yeah. what I'm saying. I think we're like very like. In the moment, it always feels like this is like new, and this is you know we've never yeah. felt this way. And then like you wait a few years, and it's like oh, this new thing is. But you forget that just three years ago we were thinking that about KD and the Warriors. Okay. And yeah, people, man, like when people forget, like when LeBron won that first title in 2012, he was still trying to like overcome being the villain. Yeah. Um, and even in his like uh, post game, like on the court, I think it was with Doris Burke, and like the way he was talking after that win was still very much like you know anti-haters like against yeah. the doubters like because people were not valuing that ring and like yeah, yeah I, I just think we forget that very quickly yeah and i think that is a key difference between lebron and kd i think kd is so he's so much trying to follow in lebron's footsteps to be that type of athlete that type of star that like i don't think he necessarily has a personality for it, man i mean like lebron had that personality from day one i mean he's been criticized and scrutinized since he was like 15 Right, like he's seriously been this. I mean, obviously he's been become more famous, but like he's had this level of scrutiny on him since he was a teenager, and he's taken all of it and he's you know done phenomenally well considering how much pressure has been on him. Whereas KD, I mean, like you never see LeBron in creating like you know burner accounts and telling people what they think. Like actually, Westbrook and Billy Donovan weren't good coaches. Like what? Like come on, man. I mean, like. You just never saw that kind of action from LeBron because LeBron was actually built for that stuff, whereas KD just wants to have that without any of the consequence. And I think that's probably what annoys people about KD, right? Like, the the same thing with the Warriors. The Warriors probably like, look, if you want to leave, just leave. Just let us know so that, you know, we don't have to, like, pretend or keep the charade up or whatever, right? Like, you know, whether that's fair or not, you can say. But, I mean, it's understandable, right? If your boss is going to leave, like, or, or one of your coworkers is going to leave, it's going to change your life then, you know, you want to have some preparation for that. And so I think KD basically has always never wanted to upset anybody uh, while also covering his own legacy, and that's just not possible. He has to accept consequences at some point, and uh, he hasn't really done it at any point. And I think he's the public sentiment on him is not going to change until that happens. So we're going to take a quick break right here. Uh, and on the other half of the podcast, we are going to discuss topics from across the NBA, including Carmelo Anthony's future, and what the Sixers will do with Markel Fultz. Hey listeners, a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to Pound the Rock on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We also urge you to check out our other shows on the Scores Podcast Network. For baseball fans, there's Expand the Zone, Sweeper Keeper, covers the world of soccer, and there's the Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. Please also download the Score app where you can find all our feature content, live scores, and the most up-to-date breaking news. Thank you, and back to Pound the Rock. Welcome back to the second half of Pound the Rock. Still here with Cash and Wolfon. We are going to move into our Make or Miss segment. People who are not familiar with the segment, make as you agree with the statement, miss as you disagree with the statement. So uh, let's start with this one. Markel Fultz is fully expendable now that the Sixers have Jimmy Butler gonna call that a make he's apparently already lost his spot that he never should have had in the starting lineup and all i'm gonna say about it is that if those reports are true that the sixers would not include markel fultz in a Kawhi trade wolf i will call it a miss 
I can't say that he is completely expendable. Like, if they can find a trade that involves him in which they're bringing back, uh, like, a, an important, like, rotation piece um, that's going to put them over the top, then that's one thing. But to basically just say that they can, like, dump him for any other player who's, like, going to better fit their roster right now, I don't think that's the case because they're still just, like, a year and a half removed from taking him first overall. Mm-hmm. And I think... That kind of investment means that they probably have to give him like at least a little bit more time to figure this thing out. And I'm not necessarily saying that it's going to happen. And it you know might end up a case where ultimately he winds up with no trade value whatsoever. Maybe he's at that point right now. But mm-hmm. I just think it's still too early to completely give up on him given the investment they made. Um, let's say, by the way, just as a thought experiment, let's say he wasn't drafted first overall. What reason would he have to have trade value? Because every time none, you see the none. free throw, yeah, exactly. None. But 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 the fact is, like, there is one element of his game that has been completely destroyed for reasons that nobody really understands. So, it's not like an Anthony Bennett situation where he got picked first overall and it's clear that, that he's it was just a bad, bad at pick, yeah, and that he's not worthy of his draft slot. This is like he got picked first overall. For the very reason that he can now no longer stay on the floor. And that's the thing that makes this so complicated and confusing. Like, he got picked first overall because he was an incredible pull-up jump shooter, you know? And that went along with all his other athletic gifts, but he can't do that anymore. And I think... I don't know. Somebody somewhere has to believe that there's a way that he can get that back. Yeah, the thing is, is he's just not... He'll never be... He'll never be worth as much to anyone else as he is to the Sixers. Just for yeah. like a sentimental, like, yeah, he, they pick. They've got the burden of having him being the number one pick. They need to extract some sort of value, whether it's out of him as a player or out of him as a trade asset. Whereas another team just sees him as like a potential high upside young guy that they might deal for. So like, no one's gonna see the value in him that the Sixers have. Yeah, which by the way, this was actually in retrospect the 2017 NBA draft. Pretty good draft. A lot of good players in here. I mean, Jason Tatum, Lonzo Ball. Darren Fox is really breaking out. Laurie Marketing, Dennis Smith is, you know, promising. Luke yeah. Kennard actually has some talent. Donovan Imagine Mitchell. trading up in that draft and somehow ending up with the yeah. worst player of the bunch. Man, like it's, I mean, it's really sad. Honestly, I would even go as low as like I'll have rather have Kyle Kuzma or Josh Hart. And those guys were picked twenty seventh and thirtieth. That was in also the, first round. the OG and Anobi draft, wasn't it? OG was in this draft. Jared Allen was in this yeah, draft. John Collins. Ah, yeah. It's uh, it's tough. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, make or miss, Carmelo Anthony will not be playing in the NBA next season. Oh, wow, next season. Um, oh, you're saying this season? Yeah, Come on. Yeah, He's playing again this season. No, I know. That's why I was like, ah, oh, that's okay. an easy one to miss. Uh, make. I agree. I think I we're already pretty close to the breaking point, I think. And I, he, he'll probably glom on with another team for the rest of the season, or at least part of it, until that team realizes that they don't really have any use for him. But the fact that he can't make it work with a team that is already basically perfectly constructed to just slot him in and have him do as little as he possibly can just to contribute in some small way. They couldn't make it work there. He was playing with one of his best friends. Mm-hmm. He was playing in a system you know, with a coach that he's familiar with. Like I don't know. That was a positive in this case. I think D'Antoni kind of was familiar with disliking Carmelo. <laughs> he was, but I mean, Mike D'Antoni still signed off on bringing That's Carmelo true. in. Um, yeah. You know, the familiarity there, I think, was still a, a point in his favor. And, you know, the fact that Chris Paul basically doesn't really seem even willing to go to bat for him and try mm-hmm. and keep him in Houston. Like, what situation is this going to work out for him? Like, no rebuilding team has any reason to try and get him or to play him minutes. Uh, and no contending team, I don't think, is going to want to risk bringing him in and, and you know damaging whatever fragile ecosystem they have in place. So I just don't see it happening beyond this season. And I, you know, I don't think he's going to be willing to accept a role where he's playing five to seven minutes a game. Uh, and if he wants to play for an NBA team, I feel like that's what it's going to have to be from here on out. Yeah, there, there will come a day when we have a very long discussion on this podcast about... Carmelo Anthony's legacy and mm-hmm. Carmelo Anthony the player and like why he was revered the way he was when that's I gonna be next year by the way when uh, he takes his talents to Shandong <laughs> yeah right. but uh, for now I'll just say it's a make I, I don't think he's in the league next year okay 
Um, what do you think he ends up, by the way? China. Actually, no. <laughs> no, I, I don't actually think no, he that. he doesn't need to go no, to China, he, man. He I think he just calls it quits. I think he just calls it. Like, I can't see. Melo's not going to go play, like, overseas or something. Yeah, Melo's going like, to won't even accept a bench. Practically never accepted a bench role in the NBA. You think he's going to accept, like, playing overseas? Yeah, he doesn't need the money. As long as he gets to start. <laughs> wow. Him and, him and Jimmer Fredette leading the Shanghai Sharks to... Uh, I don't even know. I'm Chinese. I don't even watch the Chinese Basketball Association. Yeah, the so. Beijing Ducks. Yeah, there you go. Duck, um, duck my sick. It'll be their new uh, slogan. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Next one. Um, Maker miss. Tyson Chandler is too important to the Lakers. What do you mean by too important? Like, I said he shouldn't play this big of a role for the oh, Lakers. Oh, that's a make. But it's like, again, it goes back to what we were saying. Like Tyson Chandler is a shell of the former, you know, defensive player of the year that he was whenever the hell that was. But, like, they were... So? S- well, look at that game-saving block on Trey Young. Okay, he, he has some moments. But, like, a, in he, general, like, his block rate, his uh-huh. like, a lot of the, like, metrics you can look at okay. show that he's not the defensive player he was. He's clearly oh, for not. for sure, for sure. But the Lakers were so in need of just a large human being who could do large human being things on a basketball court that, like... Tyson Chandler fills the role like they literally just needed a guy who was the size of a center yeah. who could screen and rebound and occasionally block shot when JaVale McGee wasn't on the floor and they found that in Tyson Chandler yeah I, I think it's a make also that they shouldn't be as reliant on Tyson Chandler as they are but I, I still think it was a great pickup um, but you know the fact that they're out here dropping confetti and celebrating November wins over the Atlanta oh my God. Hawks is not a great sign for, you know, I don't think this is where we thought this team was going to be. Kobe's rolling over in his grave right now. Yeah. He can't believe the team is celebrating <laughs> a random victory, you know? Remember when he did that to Jeremy Lin and yeah. Kent Bazemore and Nick Young? I yeah. do. Yeah. Um, this team's not that much better, you know? <laughs> no, but I, I just... They could use Kent Bazemore, Like, the fact, the fact that they constructed a roster where they, they needed Tyson Chandler this badly is... Yeah. Come on, guys. ...cause for some... Concern. Magic and Polinka are one step ahead of the game, all right? They saw a new way to build around LeBron James. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which, by the way... Uh, Magic, the GM, or I mean, even LeBron, the GM, is unclear if LeBron's pulling the strings or Magic is, but it reminds me a lot of Doc Rivers. If you look at that roster, this is a 2011 All Star team in the Eastern Conference right now. You got LeBron, you got Rondo. Um, soon, soon you're going to get Carmelo, you got Lance, you got uh, Tyson Chandler. I mean, you know, seems to be a pattern. This Doc Rivers would be envious of this team. Um, Next one, make or miss. The Celtics should bench Gordon Hayward, who is currently averaging less than ten points a game on thirty-nine percent shooting from the field and about thirty-two percent from the three. Who who would you start in his place? Either Marcus Morris or um, uh, Marcus Smart. I'm gonna go with the make. Marcus Morris has actually been really good for the Celtics. He's like yeah. hitting some like, big shots for them early this season and yeah. have given them a couple of wins. Yeah, and I think Hayward's actually on the record, I think, today, saying that he'd be open to, yeah. to a reserve role, which kudos to him. Yeah, I think maybe that's like a way for him to kind of rediscover his offense and his rhythm is to lead some bench units and like get some buckets against second string guys because it's clearly not working right now for him in the starting lineup. And he looks he looks lost more than anything else. Like there he's showing some flashes here and mm-hmm. there of like that athleticism and the bounce and all that coming back. But his like positional awareness and just like what to do once he gets the ball in his hands, like it looks like he's never been the alpha on a team before, which is kind of weird. So I think it would be helpful to him and the team if he runs a second unit for a while. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also think I mean they can continue to start him, but they've been closing games with him you know pretty much every game and that I feel like at least for now probably needs to change like he just he hasn't been himself he's acknowledged that and he to his credit has said like he's happy to come off the bench and he'll do whatever is best for the team um I think yeah it might be good for him to be you know part of a lineup where he can feel the ball a little bit more because there are a whole lot of like on-ball playmakers in that starting lineup. Yeah. And I think everybody is seeing a few fewer touches than they were last year. So um, giving him a chance to just like get his feel back a little bit might be a really good thing for him. Yeah, and, and one thing you notice about the Celtics, I mean, they were doing this last year as well, so it's not entirely a new trend with Hayward, but they had been getting into deficits early in games, and then in second halves, they make crazy comebacks. And in the case of the Suns, like, there are teams that are bad enough that are going to wet themselves and blow a massive lead like the Suns, right? Um, but I think part of the reason why the Celtics make these great comebacks is because in the second half, they do bring Hayward off the bench. 
and they're much smoother in the starting lineup with Marcus Morris. And even when Marcus Smart comes in, I think those guys play just at an intensity and at a rhythm that, you know, when they basically run offense for Hayward, it's a little bit awkward. He kind of stops the offense. And, and then he kind of also has to go through the calculation of, am I going to get hurt on this play? If I drive here, can I take some contact here? Like, there's just so much thinking that goes into it that um, I think it kind of stalls the Celtics offense a little bit. Um, but I don't know. I don't think the Celtics are in that much concern, to be honest. Like, I think everyone's really worried about the Celtics. The real issue was the Celtics were kind of overhyped, and so people are a little bit disappointed. But like this is kind of how the Celtics are. They're an elite defensive club. They're not that good offensively because they don't have a transcendent offensive player. And I don't know. It's just because people promised that they were going to be like Warriors East. Do you not think that Kyrie is a transcendent offensive player, though? He is, but like it's a – you know what I mean? Like Kyrie is the only guy in the offense. Like, like it's – like, look at last year. Like, the Celtics weren't elite, and Kyrie was had one of his best seasons, both, you know, passing and efficiency-wise. They were still below average offensively. I think they have the weapons to be a good offensive team. Sure. Why they don't, I think, is a, well, is a fair question. I think, I mean, I've watched a few of their games, and honestly, their process stuff looks pretty good to me. Like, they actually create a lot of open threes. I think they are tops in the league in wide-open three-point looks, so... I just think they're not shooting well right now. Guys maybe aren't in rhythm. Um, but I, I don't think like any of their process has been wrong. I think they might just need a little bit more time to gel and like start to find their form a little bit. Um, I, I don't I don't think that they are like doing anything objectively wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually think and I pointed this out after that game against the Bucks that they won when they hit 24 threes. Like, they've started to do a lot more off-ball stuff with Kyrie, which I think is a good idea because he doesn't get a lot of credit for this because he's such a good ball handler. Yeah, but yeah. he actually is, like, a really good off-ball mover as well. Okay. And the fact that they have other guys who can pass so well, like Horford, um, and screen for him off of the ball, like, really allows them to do a lot of stuff where they're getting him catch-and-shoot threes, which he's been way more effective at than pull-up threes. So, um I think they're doing all the right things, and I think we're going to start to see their offense come around pretty soon. The one thing they don't do is get to the free throw line. Is that kind Ever. of been an issue for them the yeah. last couple of years? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, and, they, and, they don't drive at the basket very much. Like yeah. they just, they just don't. Right, and they like, do. They they have some shot selection issues with with Tatum. Well, and I think with Rozier as well. That's because Kobe Bryant took Tatum under his wing and taught him the mama mentality of shooting every single long two. Yeah, well, and it t- kind of ruined the Celtics, <laughs> which is honestly a great move by Kobe. It just further establishes his reputation as the greatest Laker of all time. Seriously, if he ruins the Celtics by doing <laughs> that, thin. that's that's incredible. That's an incredible move. That's mama mentality. That's really mama mentality. Um, all right, next one, make or miss. Brooke Lopez was a more important addition for the Bucks than Mike Budenholzer. I, by the way, I want to make it clear. I did not write this question. All right, Wolf on add this question to the. I'm going to say notes. that's a hard miss. Look, Brooke Lopez has been great. That's a Marco Fultz miss. He, yeah, it's like a, you got a hitch halfway up before you clank the jumper. Brooke Lopez has been great and. Um, like he was brought there to be a floor spacer, and he's uh-huh. doing that extremely well. He went nuts the other night. I think it was in Denver uh, or against eight threes. Yeah, um, most of them in the third quarter too. And they were deep. Yeah, like, no, like catch, and shoot, catch and shoot. He was like running. He was running off screens and getting level. But um, to jump on that, to me, that's more a bud thing. Like they could have acquired Brook Lopez and still run an antiquated system where they weren't using him correctly. The reason he looks the way he does is because of Coach Bud's system. Like we just mentioned, like we're talking about a guy that used to be a pretty plodding center now running off screens for catch and shoot threes like yeah. five feet behind the perimeter. That's a Coach Bud thing, not just a Brooke Lopez thing. Well, you don't think any other coach could have just brought this out of him? I, I, I'm mostly in agreement. I, I do think that's a bit of a stretch, but um, I, I, I think he gives them such a matchup advantage. But... One thing I've been wondering lately, and it especially came to my mind during that Nuggets game, was like, why do teams continually try to match up with him with bigs? Like, he is functionally a guard at this point in time. 74% of his shots are threes. He mostly just camps yeah. out on the perimeter. Like, he grabs why, three rebounds a game. Like, like, why not just downsize and stick a guard on him? Yeah. You know, like, the worst case scenario is he tries to post you up, but I feel like that's a pretty good outcome. It disrupts the Bucks' offense. It, exactly, and it takes yeah. the ball out of Giannis's hands. And Giannis yeah. can't really, like, he can still play off ball, obviously. Like, sure. you know, he can be effective in space and as a cutter. But, like, if, like, if you take Giannis off ball, then, you know, you basically just have another available helper. 
and I don't think you worry too much about Brook Lopez post up. So like, well, there you go. I feel like you're just giving them, a, you're seeding a matchup advantage by continuing to try and stick a big on him. Um, I would only say that the reason I think people still put bigs against Brook Lopez is to try to help off of him and you know help at Giannis on the rim and you need a big guy to do that but I mean like if this concession is you're giving Brook Lopez wide open threes then it's not really helping on the whole no, I think the way to beat the Bucks is to let Giannis get and 40 I, exactly what and I was keep say. everyone if, else like, cold if you don't have someone to meet Giannis at the rim I don't think that's the worst thing in the world I yeah. mean I understand you don't want to just give up layup after layup but at the same time like you're gonna live with Giannis like getting some layups and dunks as opposed to yeah. meeting yeah. someone at the rim and kicking it out for a corner three. And yeah, I think the that, other thing that's worth, how the Celtics beat the uh, the Bucks, by the way, for their first loss of the season. That's right. Like you you have a small and you can basically exploit them at the other end. And I think it's also worth considering if you have a a guard or or a wing guarding um, Lopez, then like you, if if he gets used as a screener, then you're also kind of able to switch that action a little True. bit more easily than if there's a big guarding him. So you kind of maybe take away the pick and pop as an option as well it's a good point it's a good point i wonder who milwaukee's playing uh next that coach should listen to this podcast uh all right last one make or miss Dwayne casey who again inspired this podcast shout out mr pound the rock um make or miss Dwayne casey is not so subtly still upset at both masai ujiri and nick nurse uh, like i don't know man he got paid very handsomely in detroit uh-huh um 35 million over five I don't know how mad he really is, but I think he's still at least a little bitter, and I think it's natural. Um, yeah. Like, he, Dwayne Casey had a very long, arduous coaching career. Um, yes. With a lot of ups and downs, and a couple times he was unfairly removed from his position, and it all culminated in this, like, 59-win season with this team that was, like, on the precipice of something really special, and they fell short. And now he's watching one of his assistants get an even better version of that team that uh-huh. I'm sure he would have loved to coach. Um, and they're just taking off. So, yeah, I think he's probably still a little bitter, but I don't think that's a wrong of him. And I don't think it'd be wrong if Nick Nurse is maybe a little bitter for whatever reason. He like It's it's a competitive field. There's only 30 of these jobs in the world, and mm-hmm. they're not all created equal. And, yeah, that's my take. Make, make. Yeah, I think it's also a make, and I agree that I would – feel the exact same way if I was in this situation. Mm. Um, you know, you spent seven years building something from basically nothing, you know? Oh, like, yeah, it really, really was nothing. Prima took, side, prima side. Yeah, when Casey yeah. was already putting the building blocks in place. 100%. When he took over the, the Raptors in 2012, I think the Raptors were like 30th in defense and like 25th in offense or something like that. Yeah, it was they bad. were the, the very worst defense in the league. Yeah. Um, and he had a huge hand, probably as big a hand as anybody in, in creating, uh, the, you know, the culture of discipline and hard work and stability that took over that organization. And uh, for seven years, he put his heart and soul into it. And um, I can understand him feeling like this is the thanks that I get. And then, you know, having to watch that team thrive uh, really with the best personnel yeah. that it's ever had. Uh, and I'm sure a player that he would have loved to have coached. Oh my God! While he was there, um, I'm sure that's tough to swallow. But uh, you know, Dwayne is a professional, and I, he also know. did land on his feet too. He landed on his feet, and I don't, look, yeah. I think he he has worn his heart on his sleeve a little bit in the wake of everything that happened. Um, well, he does keep getting asked about it, although he does not necessarily do himself favors by no. coming on Toronto local radio while he's in Detroit. No, but it's a bit he weird. Did, but a bit but weird. he, I think he always does it kind of tongue in cheek, and like he's uh-huh. he's able to joke about it, and like yeah. take little digs at Nick Nurse, who exactly. hasn't who hasn't called Dwayne yet, <laughs> ever since uh, Dwayne got the job. Yeah, you know, like, I think you said uh, today or yesterday that like he doesn't see that much different that the Raptors are doing. Mm. Like he's saying they're running the basically the the same plays that they were running while he was there, but that they just have Kawhi now, and that's I, yeah. why they're having the success that they've had, which I, hope- I think is kind of fair. I mean, apart from the uh, sorry, apart apart from the like the ro- the rotational decisions that Nick Nurse has made, it's a pretty and big deal. I know, but I believe Dwayne Casey also has mentioned in the last couple of days that he actually did break up. I mean, it was way too late, but he did uh, break up Jonas Valanciunas and Serge Ibaka uh, in the second half of the sweep to Cleveland. Unfortunately, Serge was already like irreparably broken Man, at that point. When in time. he broke up that starting lineup and bench Serge, Serge like I remember there was like moment in Game Three where Serge was trying to bring the ball up over half court in Cleveland, and Kyle Korver stripped him. Like he couldn't dribble past Kyle Korver, or not even dribble past, just like bring the ball past half. Yeah, it was it was tough, but uh, yeah, I mean I agree, man. Dwayne Casey has you know you win Coach of the Year and you have that as a sort of crowning achievement of your coaching career, and then to have it completely invalidated by getting fired. 
Like, it's it's an embarrassing moment for him. It really is. And I would say this. Like, that quote that uh, Mark Jackson had about the butterfly and the caterpillar. Uh, what did he say? Like, you can't, you can't... You can't whatever... Like, can't praise the butterfly... Without acknowledging with, the caterpillar? Like, and disrespect the caterpillar. Like, something along that. I think Dwayne Casey could actually, like, make that comment yes. in earnest. And it Mark would Jackson make, could not. It would make sense. You yeah. know, like... Um, Dwayne Casey made this era of Raptors basketball possible. So, yeah, there you go. All right. Well, that does it for the podcast. Again, thanks to both Cash and Wolfon for discussing the Warriors and also everything else that's going on in the NBA. Pending uh, another massive transaction or massive breaking news in the NBA, we probably won't do another podcast this week, but you never know. You honestly never know in the NBA. So, uh, thanks for listening to Pound the Rock, and we'll see you later.